With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everyone? This is Jose. Just wanted to let you know we did something a little bit different this week. We actually broke down this episode into two parts. Let me explain. We had John Troopin and Jake Mailhot on to talk about Mariners pitching, and we found out there was a lot to talk about. Um, so we decided to split this conversation up. First part, we'll be talking about starting rotation. And then in part two, we'll talk about the bullpen. Just wanted to let you know at the beginning of this episode. So that way, when the first episode is done, you're not trying to figure out where the bullpen conversation is. We'll be releasing that on Thursday. Anyway, that's enough of me talking. Hope you enjoy part one. Welcome to the third episode of the new Lookout Landing podcast. I am the managing editor of Lookout Landing, Kate Prusser. I am joined today by Jose Rivera, our graphics wizard. Jose! Hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm getting excited. I'm cranked up for FanFest this weekend, which I don't know when this episode will come out. Maybe FanFest will have already happened, but I've got a big weekend with that. And the UW women, I'm going to go see them play twice and hopefully defeat Stanford. So Nice. Yeah. And uh, joining me, we have a we have a triple J podcast tonight. We have we have Jose, and then we also have John Troopin back with us again. Hello, John. Hey, Kate. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Excited to be back. Good. Well, can you say a little bit about why you were here on the pitching episode specifically? Well, um, I have a relatively uh, extensive history of uh, pitching myself, making it all the way through the illustrious Garfield High School uh, pitching program, pipeline if you will, uh, <laughs> all the way into the uh, hallowed halls of Lewis and Clark College Division Three baseball, where I uh, threw 90% of my games uh, as complete games where I threw over 100 pitches, so I have a very good understanding of what not to do, certainly, <laughs> when it comes to pitching management. Uh, and joining us as well, first-time guest, Jake Mailhot. Hey, Kate. Jake, have I been saying your name right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just the way it looks. <gasps> Mailhot. It really uh, depends on where you're from, too. 
What? What? Where does that name come from? You know, it's originally French, um, and my ancestors moved to French Canada, and then they moved to Wisconsin and Minnesota. And if you're from Wisconsin and Minnesota, you say it Myatt, and then um, they moved to Washington. And if you're from Washington, you say Mailhot. <laughs> I mean, Myatt is sort of elegant in a way. Yeah, sure. I suppose it's a lot harder to pronounce, and it's a lot harder to explain why it's pronounced that way. Fair yeah. enough. It's also, male hot. It's negligent? <laughs> of just a few letters. <laughs> it well, also it's makes French, me... so they just throw That's those fair. letters in there and <laughs> call it good. I love French. Fifteen letters for one sound. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Jake, you are, as I understand it, a repressed pitcher. <laughs> you were well, not I a pitcher. I certainly don't have the experience that John does. Um, I played baseball through high school, and I was a shortstop and a, and a second baseman, so um, I rarely stepped on the mound. In fact, I, I made it my goal to never step on the mound. <laughs> well, um, as we've seen, usually if, if the second baseman or shortstop has having to step on the mound, things have gone awry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Unless you're Louis Sardinius pitching a perfect inning. Oh, there you go. Bless you. Bless you, Louis Sardinius, who came up on the list of pitchers who pitched for the 2016 Mariners when I was <laughs> researching for this. Good times. Good times. Um, but no, explain a little bit about why you, why, you are, why you have become our sort of de facto pitching aficionado here on the, on the yeah, site. Yeah. Um, so it really just goes back to my appreciation for the game. I've... Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, as I've learned more and more about, uh, sabermetric principles and, and, uh, the new, um, ways to analyze the game, I've sort of gravitated towards pitching, um, stats and analysis, um, mainly because I felt like with the advent of pitch effects, um, pitching stats were, were far more advanced than hitting stats. And hitting stats are, are catching up with StatCast, but um, I felt like we could we could really dig into a, um, what a pitcher was, was able to do on the mound um, through all the data that we were get, gathering through PitchFX. And so that's something that I've just learned um, a lot about. I've read um, almost obsessively about um, pitching and, and how to analyze pitchers and um, watched a lot of video, um, just put a lot of work into to understanding the the art of pitching which is great because we are the beneficiaries of it every day yeah. <laughs> when you share your wisdom on the site so we certainly appreciate that and we are happy to have you here all right let's uh let's roll into it so today we are looking at the rotation and the bullpen <clears throat> and maybe a good place to start is to look at uh, what we don't have anymore. So I know that I was a little shocked when I saw that Walker had been traded um, and that we weren't getting a pitcher in return for him, especially knowing how much of a problem the rotation was going into this season. I uh, I had a panic moment. How did you guys feel about that? Well, certainly having written an article Earlier that day, requesting essentially that we trade Taiwan Walker for a shortstop, I was <laughs> both thrown. I was a little bit thrown off, and also had mentally been preparing myself for the past week while while sort of researching that. Um, but it was, you know, while I was excited by the initial return, it was concerning to see. All right, I guess we're really doing this. We're we're going away from our highest, maybe our highest upside uh, pitcher, and and just putting a bigger hole where something already was not really there. Yeah, I think the the most surprising thing was considering the the free agent market for starting pitching this year and and just the the lack of options in our in our high minor system uh to trade away Taiwan felt like uh <laughs> we weren't trading away from a strength. We were trading away from a, a real area of need and then creating a, an even bigger area of need. It was that was my take on it too. Um, I had wondered though because he was a strength. He was something that we had. He was a potential trade piece, as I think John argued really well in his piece. 
Um, and it had been really concerning all of the kind of question marks that were coming out about how the team felt about him. And I think we have seen a pattern, enough of a pattern emerge where it is Jerry's way or it is the highway. Um, so not only did we see Walker get traded, but we also saw Carnes go a little bit later on. And honestly, of the two of them, I was more surprised about the Carnes move because I felt like he was such a centerpiece in that trade, sending Morrison and Miller. Uh, did we give up anyone else in that? Uh, who was it? Farquhar. Farquhar. Yeah. Farquhar. Oh, right. Farquhar. <laughs> Farquhar. Yeah, so we sent all of that and really, I mean, obviously they love the upside of Boo Powell who has <clears throat> had <some laughs> problems. <laughs> Boog. Um, but it, it really felt like that trade was centered around Carnes and then to kind of send him away and send him away for an outfield piece. Again, trading out of that position that we were kind of in a point of need of and replacing it with someone that we seem to kind of have a lot of in Dyson. It was certainly surprising, especially considering while Carnes had obviously flashed some some skill uh, when he was healthy, that it had essentially been the same story, you know, that he was good and had some talent while he was out there, but that he would struggle to stay healthy and struggle to be consistent and struggle to make it deep into games. So, um, you know, it was, I think, partially related to the little snippets that you heard afterwards about him being frustrated about being asked to take a different role when they wanted to try and move into the bullpen and that sort of those attitude issues similar to what Walker had whispered about him uh, seemed to really make a difference. And I just realized that we totally forgot to talk about the media luncheon at all today, um, which was something that happened today. Jose watched it for us and has like a little bit of a report, but I think that there's maybe something in trading Carnes away that was made more clear for me in the media luncheon in something that uh, Scott Service, or as I now call him, Sassy Scott Service, <laughs> said. So do you want to just briefly kind of summarize the media luncheon for us, Jose? Yeah, so for those not familiar with the media luncheon, uh, essentially what it is is they have members of the Mariners organization talking to the media, and I guess they have a prepared lunch for them, and... They just talk to them and they, they ask questions about, you know, the direction of the team this year. Um, there were a couple interesting guests. Um, Andy McKay was one of the guests there. He uh, he was there last year as well. Of course, Jerry DePoto was there. Um, they had a medical uh, assistant medical director, uh, Rob Nodine, was there. And uh, they had James Paxton as well as Mitch Hanniger. Um and so yeah, there were there were there was a lot of interesting things that a lot of the guys said about you know what's going to happen this year. And one thing that I that I took away from it that both Jerry and Scott said um, is that they're both still very high on Felix. Um, they're really happy with how the workouts are going with uh, with Iron Glenn, and they feel that he's angry, like he's going to come back really strong this year. Um, Jerry himself said that the the demise of Felix Hernandez is being grossly exaggerated. That they still feel that he was. Even though the numbers don't show it, he was still very, very good. Uh, he's still a very good pitcher. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. They seem to be really high on what he's going to be able to do this year. I would almost classify Jerry's tone in talking about Felix as mild outrage. Like, And I wonder how much of that is he's talking to the media, many of whom are mm. writing these stories that are kind of yeah. spinning the narrative about... And yeah, I mean, I, you don't see... I think a ton of emotion out of Jerry really does present that even keel. I think any emoting he does is off screen. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because he had a line. Um, if I, and I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, talking about how with social media, it's easy to yes. react. Um, you know, when Felix does something bad, like it's, it's so easy to say something like, Oh, the wheels are falling off. Um, so yeah, I think there was, there was definitely that, that was definitely an undertone with what he was, uh, when he was talking about Felix, um, Rob Nodine, uh, he actually had some updates for a couple Mariners that had surgery this off season. Uh, Steve Shisek, um, he had surgery on his labrum on his left hip. Um, they have him throwing a very light program right now. Uh, they're going to reevaluate him when pitchers and catchers, uh, report. 
in what two weeks already? Oh, yeah. About there, like two and a half weeks. Um, they're gonna reevaluate him there when they when he does his physical, um, and they'll just keep monitoring him throughout uh, spring training. Uh, same same with Tony Zick. He had an injury on a right bicep. He had surgery. Um, they're gonna reevaluate reevaluate him as well. Uh, they said that they both should be ready to go by the end of spring training, but uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see what happens there. So we're probably not going to get to watch Zick pitch in spring training this year, is what you're yeah, saying. It's, yeah, it doesn't sound like that's that's going to be part of the plan. It's a bummer. Um, our top prospect, Kyle Lewis, um, as some of you may know, he had a torn ACL last year. Um, usually takes about a year to uh, to come back from. Uh, Nodine said that, uh, or I'm sorry, Andy McKay actually said that uh, he is looking at returning around the All-Star break, which I think that's what they had they had in plan for him. So we should be expecting to see him back with, with Everett more than likely at, around that time. Um, and regarding the lineup, uh, Scott Service actually said that they're going to go with uh, Gerard Dyson as the number one, uh, as a leadoff hitter. And uh, they're going to put Segura in the number two spot. So interesting because yeah. they spent all that time talking about how Segura is a leadoff hitter. Right. I think that I think when we first uh, received uh, Segura, that was the initial reaction from everybody was that Segura was going to be the leadoff guy. Um, but they said they're going to start off with Dyson, so that that should be really interesting to see play out. That's exciting. Yeah. That's like I said. Like I said in the last episode, that yeah. that speed is just whew, it's intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to kind of uh, link it back to what we were saying, Sassy Scott Service was talking about the shifts, the defensive shifts, and how the Mariners saved, we had the most defensive runs saved from the shift in this past year. Jake, is it you who has written a lot about the shift? Yeah, that was early last year. Um, have you been keeping up on that at all with how we've been how we've been doing with the shift? Or Yeah, I, I wrote a... a... A retrospective uh, towards the end of this year about it and from what I remember we um, at, at least from the, the the stats that are publicly available to us uh, the Mariners were pretty highly rated as far as um, defensive efficiency when um, utilizing a shift um, and what I haven't done since I wrote that article Fangraphs has um, really added to their um, ability to um, break down um, splits and, and um, specifically team splits. And so what I haven't gone back and done is, is look into those team splits um, more uh, uh, deeply um, since Fangraphs updated their splits tool. Oh, but that will be probably something that you will do. Perhaps. It <laughs> might be. <clears throat> sounds, sounds fun. Um, the thing that stood out to me about service was he was saying – well, you know, eventually we got to that point, but for the first couple months, it wasn't looking great. And balls yeah. were getting through that players had been used to getting to before. And that particularly, it frustrated the starting pitching. And the starting pitchers were not on board with the shifts at first. And Paxton as much admitted to it when he said, you know, it was it was hard at first. And it was hard to see that ball get through. But then as you do it more, you adjust and you figure out how to pitch to it and you start seeing all the catches, all the balls that are saved from the shift. Yeah. Well, one thing that uh, Scott Service brought up as well was uh, to add on to your point about there being frustration um, in you know, the first month or so uh, that Manny Acta was a big proponent of, mm -hmm. of staying the course, you know, keep doing the shift. It's going to work out in the end. I guess he was just really adamant about them sticking to their plan. And, uh, yeah, by the end of the season, they ended up being, what was it, second or third in run saved via the shift? Something mm -hmm. something pretty high up there. Oh, I, th I thought you said we were first, but... Oh, yeah, he could be. Him. I may have misheard him. Yeah, when when I was doing a, all that research on the shift, it was really striking to, to me to see how, uh, yeah, how defensive shifts are, they're so new and they're so, um, they go against the grain of, of how the game is played, Um and and to sort of to to shift that way towards this new strategy has to take buy-in from mm -hmm. from the infield, from the outfield, from the pitcher, from the catcher, and from the coaching staff. And so um, I think uh, like we were talking about before, um, Jerry Depoto is all about buy-in, and and that really shows in in this particular example. Um, 
And I, I think that's it's a really strong organizational quality, um, and it's a strong cultural quality for the organization to have that kind of buy-in, even even in this in this particular example, but across the entire organization as well. And the problems that he mentioned were not in the infield. The infield bought the shift because I think that's the strength of having Robinson Cano and having Manny Acta and having that close relationship between the two of them where they trust. And Manny is so sabermetrically minded that Cano buys in and that's it. You've got everyone. So the whole infield is bought. The problem was with the pitchers. And I think Service's exact quote was something like, some of them couldn't get over that hump meaning uh, wouldn't, couldn't ever get on board or have that buy-in. And he said, and they are no longer with us. So to yep. me, that pretty clearly seems to indicate that either Taiwan or Carnes or both were not on board with those defensive shifts. Or even someone like Wade Miley. <laughs> or Miley, that's right. Miley too, I forgot about him. Who probably, yeah. I mean, I don't know much about him, but definitely strikes me as maybe kind of an old-fashioned, you know, maybe not. That's a very like interesting thing to look back, especially because we were so surprised at that point. Even as like a small cell move, it seemed like Miranda was pretty weak in terms of, uh, in terms of, a return on a starting pitcher who ostensibly could do a decent job. Um, but if that was a big part of their motivation, that he just wasn't buying into what the organization wanted, it may have pushed them to make a move. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's even more striking that it happened mid-season, right? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's one thing to, to like trade someone who's, who isn't buying into the, into the organization in the off season, mm-hmm. but to do it mid season, that's uh yeah, it says a lot about um, Jerry DePoto and his, and his willingness to stick to his guns. Right. And I can, you can't help but admire that, right? Like they're not going to let any relationship with any particular player or any talent or what other people might say, because, you know, when they traded Taiwan, I think that there was there that move got some criticism. Uh, Arizona was considered to be the winner of the trade. Uh, Segura, people said there's no way he's going to have the same year he had. Um, but there is just such a commitment and a belief in that vision. And like you said, a dedication to sticking to that vision outside what? of all the noise. And I think I... You you guys may feel differently, but I think I, even I would agree they, by looking at it purely on an upside scale, that Arizona definitely got more potential upside. You did get a potential front of your rotation pitcher, and you did get a potential solid shortstop for you know many years to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we talked about, you know, last week we talked about how they've been emphasizing consistency and I think we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the rotation is they've been this making this big move towards we would rather have consistency in all of these places uh, even if we're giving up a little bit of upside Um, and so in terms of Segura and Hanniger and whatever Curtis may be you do have some signs of potential consistency there Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that I heard so many times in so many interviews, either Jerry or Scott, talking about how we needed pitchers who weren't going to go deep into counts on every single batter. <laughs> pitchers, and that was Carnes, right? I mean, he was just, he was the king of the three and two count. <laughs> My God, I had to recap so many yeah. of those games and it would just be like, just end this inning. Just end this inning. I have to pee. Just end the inning. And no, and he fouls that off. And he fouls that off. God dang it. Uh, but so that consistency and being able to get into the sixth inning and then turn it over to the bullpen, which they had put so much work into trying to build a strong bullpen that would see us through. Um, and yeah, that just that seems to be something that they're priding over everything else. So maybe that helps us transition when we're talking about what is the organization valuing now and what is this consistency and can we depend on what we have in the rotation now kind of uh, transition us into talking about the rotation. So the big question, Felix, are you team Jerry or are you team uh, 
whatever the current think piece is on how the Mariners are going to blow up this year because <laughs> they have no pitching. I would say I'm fairly hmm. – I've got tempered optimism. How about that? Um, that sounds about right. <laughs> I think I, I'm willing to agree with Fel- or with Jerry, I suppose, that uh, that the demise of Felix Hernandez is grossly exaggerated. Um, he was not a great pitcher. He was not an ace. He was not King Felix last year, which um, both in a in a sort of general sense and in this way that he clearly views himself. Um, but he was still a very serviceable pitcher. You know, if you put someone, you know, if you put Felix Hernandez out there, um, that's still a valuable pitcher that you can get through a game with that you can win with. Um, was he worth his contract last year? No. But um, the way that he has clearly been refocusing in his mind and the way that he's been working out and the um, way that the front office has constructed a team around him that should be much more uh, able to cover for any mistakes that he makes uh, I'm a little I'm a little bit more optimistic yeah I think I, I'm with you John too I think uh, Felix um, yeah his year last year was rough but um, yeah seeing him commit to um, to his offseason training program, to getting back to um, to where he he was at, um, at least striving towards that goal, um, I think shows uh, a lot of commitment. It shows a lot of humility because um, he, mm-hmm. he he's a Cy Young winner. Mm-hmm. He's he's King Felix, right? And mm-hmm. and to to be brought down from that and then try and to strive back to, to get to that level again, I think that um, yeah, that's that's hard work. Um, and, I, and I appreciate that uh, that he's been so committed to to his. Um, to the workout regimen and, and getting back to that place. It's a hard thing, right? It's a hard thing to be like, I'm bad now. This is bad. This is not ideal. Hmm. And I, I think it takes an admission and it takes it, like you said, Jake, it takes giving up a little piece of yourself or your idea of yourself in order to build back from that. And I think it's especially hard for him because he's so used to being the rock and to being the thing that we have all, he's he's been the linchpin so mm-hmm. many times, the thing that's kept us in games, and now he's having to be picked up instead of picking us up, and that's a hard place. That's a that's a that's an identity shift. Yeah, and if anything, I don't think there's a there's a player on the team that has more pride than Felix. So mm-hmm. I'm sure, it, like you said, it, it took a really big hit when he realized that you know he's going to have to put in the work to get where he where he was. I mean, he needs to reclaim his throne. I mean, that's that's what he wants. So it's really nice to see him working out and, and like like everyone is saying, put a put a focus back on on getting back to where he was because we're gonna need him this year, and he knows that. So that's it's good to see. And I think I'm I'm optimistic about the workouts because I do think that makes a big difference. And I think as much as physically working out is obviously important, um, it's hopefully indicative of a mental shift Mm. and of that he is also you know it's encouraging that you know i don't know how many people watched any of those grainy venezuelan uh league clips where he (laughs) was a little bit shaky but the fact that he's throwing is encouraging you know he i think he was he walked he had a 10 percent walk rate last year that's not good that's that's (laughs) way it's about three percent over his career average and he's never been as unable to just put the ball in the zone yeah. uh, whether it was mechanical issues or whether it was a lack of confidence um, because his velocity was dropping and so he didn't feel like he could put his fastball and put his curveball in the zone um, you know all of that came together and he just he legitimately he wasn't a very good pitcher last year but the pitches themselves weren't all that bad it's just that he wasn't either wasn't confident or wasn't consistent enough in locating them um and so i'm hoping that this rededication is as much mental as it is physical well let's uh let's transition on then to talking about somebody else who there are a lot of question marks around um so i'm not going exactly in order of what we think the rotation is going to be 
just kind of trying to make more thematic connections. And uh, as as many articles as have been written about the the decline of the king, the king is dead, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I think Iwakuma has really gotten slammed this off season with a few articles that have just said. I one of them was. <laughs> Hisashi Iwakuma will never be good again. Which is just, <laughs> I thought that was especially brutal as a title. Um, and I know that, Jake, you did a little work in maybe answering some of those claims or looking into it. So why don't you lead, lead the discussion on Iwakuma? Yeah, Iwakuma's, uh, when I was looking into to his season last year, it was really interesting to, to find that He's really uh, he's changed a lot um, in his repertoire and his batted ball profile. He's a he's a very different pitcher uh, than he was two or three years ago, and um, and I think a lot of that has to do with age. It has to do with um, just uh, the changing nature of the game and 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 his and his body <laughs> deteriorating, um, which is really unfortunate. But it's um, it's in, it's uh, interesting to see his. The way that he's um, his, he's changing his approach, um, realizing his his limitations, and and the way that um, yeah that he isn't able to throw the same pitches the same way um, anymore, and so he's he's adding a slider and he's adding a cutter um, to his his repertoire um, just to try and to, to get regain that edge to to make those adjustments to um, to to continue continue to be a successful pitcher. Um, yeah, it's really it's really interesting, and and it makes 2017 even more uh, interesting because who knows if those adjustments will stick or or, or what uh, if they'll continue to to work out for him. And Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, because I remember re- in reading your piece that he essentially hadn't thrown the cutter, maybe thrown the cutter a few times in 2015, but that the cutter really b- became a much bigger part of his. Um, arsenal in 2016 uh, was it an effective addition <laughs> <laughs> that uh you know that's a good question um so yeah in, in 2015 and in the years prior it was it was probably um misclassified pitches really is what, <laughs> what his cutter was sure. um and in, in 2016 it it became a, a really significant part of his repertoire he threw it 18 percent of the time Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, yeah, it's pretty significant. Um, and as far as its effectiveness goes, uh, it's really, it's, it's hard to, to, to know because with, with Iwakuma, his, his repertoire, um, all of his pitches work off of each other, right? right. His, his fastball command is, is so key to, to his splitter, to his slider, to his curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, if you, if you isolate his cutter results, it doesn't really look like a good pitch. Uh, <laughs> I mean, his, his whiff, the whiff rate on it isn't very good, um, and and batters are still hitting um, hitting it pretty well. Um, but his slider in 2016 was a much better pitch, and he he had, he saw a lot more success with that with that pitch uh, last year. Um, and it was a pitch that had really really hurt him in 2015, and so. Mm. Um, I think overall it was it was a benefit to add the cutter to his repertoire, although even though the pitch doesn't look like it uh, on its own, it's it's interesting to look at his numbers, particularly in terms of what the results were on contact, um, mm-hmm. because last year he essentially just had a flip, right? In in what type of pitcher he was in, yeah. in terms of he'd been a ground ball pitcher for his entire career, um, and last year, whether the how much incorporating a cutter had to do with it or not as much as it was like you said his where he was throwing all of his pitches um but he essentially became a fly ball pitcher um or or very equal uh in terms of what was happening and and whether that's a good choice or whether that's a good thing is definitely debatable um but it is encouraging i guess to me that you, he can much more effectively weather a storm like that and survive being a flyball pitcher with the team that we have this year, as opposed mm. to with Seth Smith and Nori Aoki <laughs> running around. Yeah, that's that's very true. Running around, loafing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think that that idea, Jake, of having to consider Kuma not pitch by pitch, but at his pitches as a whole, or how the pitches work together. That's something that I think really gets lost when you 
try to analyze or look at just the one pitch and the one pitch's results because Mm -hmm. maybe more so with him than anyone else I can think of, you have to consider the way that he approaches and plans out each bat at bat and um, kind of his plan for working through a hitter. Yeah, and and, and I mean, especially with... uh... With 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 a fastball that averages what like 88, 89 miles an hour, right? Mm-hmm. It's not gonna he's not gonna blow up by anyone, but uh, <laughs> I mean I hate to bring it up, but like uh, like Jamie Moyer is the is the prime mm-hmm. uh, comparison, right? Jamie Moyer what didn't have an uh, overpowering fastball, but he knew how to pitch to batters. He yep. knew how to um, yeah to to follow. To change speeds, to change locations, to keep batters off balance, um, and I think Iwakuma has that same kind of um, pitching smarts. He knows he knows how to get batters out. He knows how to change speeds, and he knows how to change his locations. and And his control is good enough that he can do it well enough, um, yeah, to survive in the league. And you know, there's really something to be said for a pitcher who only throws 88 and only taxes his arm to 88. I mean, Moyer pitched until he was what 75. <laughs> he might still be out there I think that's also a really good point in terms of his ability to weather his aging process because he's never been this it, it, he's, we've seen with Felix Felix was the fireball you know the fireballer and now he's had to make this adjustment and for a while he adjusted and now he's having this velocity drop again and he's having to adjust again Iwakuma He's kind of always been this, you know, his, his velocity's dropped a little bit, but he always had to be the guy who I have to hit the corner every time or else they're going to, they're going to take me for a ride. So I think he, he's well prepared for this stage of his career. So moving on to the next person in the rotation, then I think who maybe doesn't exactly have unhittable stuff, although he, he did post a pretty nice strikeout rate in 2015, um, Drew Smiley, who Jerry, we kind of found out, has been just pursuing relentlessly, like a like a freaking teen movie for <laughs> all of all of the off season. Why do you think Jerry is so infatuated with Drew? Why did he want Drew Smiley? I mean, in some ways, we obviously don't have the pros- prospects to bring in Quintana or uh, Sale or any. You know, that tier is like totally off limits to us. So working within the tier that we have, but you know there were some people who really wanted us to sign Hamill, um, maybe not have to trade and give up pieces. Um, why Drew Smiley? Do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think with Drew Smiley, I think the thing that Jerry sees in him is is it a, <laughs> it goes back to one of his mantras, right? Um, he he controls the strike zone. Um, he's, uh, he doesn't have overpowering stuff. He's got a, he's got a great rising fastball. Um, and I, I, um, and he's got a great curveball. Um, he's able to get strikeouts with those pitches and he's able, he doesn't give up very many walks, but his, his real, uh, weakness is, is obviously the long ball. He gives up way too many home runs. And I think a lot of that has to do with his fastball and, uh, and, and the location of it, um, if you're if you're throwing a rising fastball, you're gonna to want to throw it up in the zone, and and if you're not getting the ball up in the zone enough, it's gonna be right in the in the sweet spot, and <laughs> and it's gonna go for a ride. We we saw that certainly as Mariners fans with a number of pitchers, but you know an extreme example being the Chris Young experience of, well, I'm throwing my rising fastball at 86 miles per hour, <laughs> and I'm gonna just keep living just at the top of the zone and. Uh, if I'm missing a, a, just a tiny bit, then I'm going to be absolutely pummeled. But Smiley, obviously, he has the benefit of being a lefty. He has, as you said, Jake, that fantastic curveball. Um, and he's like, he's a really, it's it's fun to watch his highlights in and, and watch him pitch. He's such a low effort pitcher. Mm. Um, and and it, it is almost deceptive. So I think that helps him uh, certainly get by um, with a lot of, his maybe less overpowering stuff, um, but his his ability to get fly balls um, and his ability to um, play to a lot of the strengths that this team has built and that Safeco naturally allows fly ball pitchers uh, makes sense as a good target. So I think with with uh, with Smiley, uh, 
I, I think his, his, his weakness, uh, I mean, obviously we talked about the dingers, but um, he's, he's really has, he has two excellent pitches, his fastball and his curveball, but he doesn't really have a third or fourth pitch to, to back those two pitches up with, right? He really struggled against right-handed batters. They had a, they had a huge split against him, and that's because he, he doesn't really have a pitch to throw to them. Um, he doesn't have a, a changeup or, or a cutter that's, that's quality enough to, to hold him at bay. Uh, and I think that really hurt him as well. Hey, but someone in the Mariners organization is real good at teaching a slider, right? Or a cutter. At or least. a cutter. Yes, yes. The cutter is, that's Paxton's plus pitch, right? Maybe we'll go that's to right. talk about him next. They're, they're definitely good at it. They're especially just very determined to do it. Because we saw <laughs> Iwakuma popped up with one. <laughs> uh, next, next year we're going to see Felix just throwing a cutter. We're going to be really confused. But... <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe with some work with the pitching staff, somebody can can can. It's it, it's very plausible. It would make it would make a lot of sense. I mean, he's it, he he has a not he doesn't have the same physical build um, as Paxton, but he's a you know tall lefty. Tall lefty. I I don't see the flaw in this plan. So speaking of Paxton, I sort of saved him. Because um, we'll talk about the pitching pile next, but I sort of saved him for last. Because is there is there anyone more fun to talk about in our rotation? I mean, obviously there's not, but even if the rotation looked better, it would be fun to talk about James Paxton. Because man, what a story! Um, what are your expectations for him this year? Is he going to have the breakout year, or do you, are you fearful of some regression for him? I thought last year was his breakout year. I think just looking at the numbers, he had an awesome year last year. And I know that ERA was kind of elevated, but a 2.8 uh, FIP, like that's that's killer. Mm-hmm. Looking, it was really interesting to look, especially this this preseason sort of as we're doing all of the previews and the player previews and the 40 and 40 and whatnot, that Paxton and Iwakuma throw the ball in the strike zone the exact mm-hmm. same amount of the time and the difference in results is almost comical uh, you know because you have just that's been the biggest change well there have been a million changes for Paxton I should say but one of the biggest changes for him last year was he just stopped throwing the ball out of the zone so much he just stopped walking people so much mm-hmm. you know even in 2015 where he only threw what, 60 70 innings um, you know, he was walking people. I think he had a almost a four walks per nine innings, and he dropped that under two. He was like like one point eight in twenty sixteen, and was striking out more people. You know, that's outrageous. That's ace level stuff. And so, if he's healthy, which is always been the if, and we've talked about the flukiness of a lot of his injuries you know, a busted fingernail and a line drive off the elbow and all of these different little unlucky things or very avoidable things. I'm I'm with Jake. I think the breakout's already happened. He just needs to go out there and we just need to give him the ball. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, John, you made a great point about his, his pitching in the zone. I, I, I'm looking at some of his plate discipline numbers and and i'm looking at the contact rate inside the zone and it dropped by six points <laughs> last year like that's just crazy like he, he throws yeah. it in the zone and and no one can make contact with it right. i mean people make contact but like he's still getting strikeouts even though he's in the zone more and it's just really great it's a it's a baller move right to be like <laughs> and i think that has a little bit to do with the just overall shedding some of the weight and just feeling more powerful and mm. being up there and just being like, yeah, I'm just going to put this sucker in the zone and uh, dare you to hit it. And I think that there's a real, there's a mindset change to that, to me. Uh, something Service said in the in the uh, media luncheon today was that he's gone from believing he can be a major league p- pitcher to believing he can be a great major league pitcher which I think just says so much about like where he is mentally and what his attitude is when he takes the mound. I think just a fun little note that I'm going to come back to when we talk a little bit about the bullpen later, but um, if you look at the pitchers who threw 
97 mile per hour fastballs or faster last year. Um, the most is Aroldis Chapman, who threw 759 of his 972 pitches uh, over 97 miles per hour because he's not a normal human being. Uh, and second was James Paxton, who threw oh, yeah. 595 fastballs over 97 miles per hour. And he is the only other starting pitcher in the top eight. Um, everyone else there, it's Zach Britton, it's different relievers. Carl, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there are not other pitchers like James Paxton in terms of physicality. And when you throw 97 miles per hour and you throw it in the strike zone, exactly as Jake said, it doesn't matter (laughs) most of the time. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter if it's Mike Trout. You're going to get a golden sombrero. (laughs) And, you know, when you mix that then with a gigantic curveball and a cutter that is unfair, that's an ace. Yeah, definitely. So I'm excited. Well, I think talking about an ace makes an excellent transition to talking about our next new acquisition, Giovanni Gallardo. <laughs> I, was, I was excited. Was it going to be Chris Heston? Was it going to be <laughs> nice Rob Whalen? No, <laughs> who's, no. who's the ace? Who's the ace? No, no. It's, Find it's... the lady. Find the lady. <laughs> uh, Giovanni Gallardo. I don't think there was a move there. I mean, Jerry makes a lot of moves about which we feel differently. I don't think there was a, a move that got as much universal disgust as the signing of Giovanni Gallardo. Do you think that's I, fair? I don't I don't I don't know if it was disgust. It was more like meh. It was like a meh. Eh. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was weird, but that's okay. I think I yeah, Gallardo, he he's a back rotation starter. He's an innings eater and I think that's what we need in the back of our rotation is someone who can throw 180, 190 innings in a year and make all 32 starts that'd be great exactly um i i feel like a lot of the discussion has been uh between or comparing uh gallardo to someone like jason hamill or um tyson ross who was at, at still available at the time um and i think if you look at the different profiles, like obviously Gallardo had a very, very bad year last year. Uh, started out slow, um, got hurt, couldn't find his accuracy on the way back, and got his velocity back, which is encouraging, but yeah. just couldn't find the find the location. And we've seen interviews with him this off season where he's repeated, you know, I was not, you know, I started my workouts late and I was unable to sort of get into a rhythm in the spring. And then after I got hurt, I just wasn't able to feel physically right. Um, so it's encouraging to see him already back into that work now. Um, you can say a lot of great things in the off season. We'll have to see in spring training <laughs> if he's actually throwing strikes again. Um, but if he is, I have no reason. I don't think we have any reason to doubt like Jake said, that he can go out there, throw 180 innings, and be, you know, a solid pitcher. He's he's thrown over 180 innings every year of, since 2009, except for last year. And Jason Hamill's never thrown 180 innings in his career. Right. <laughs> you know, and and, and it, the other thing, when he was making those 180 innings uh, a year uh, seasons, he was worth. <laughs> at least two war mm-hmm. every year. And, mm-hmm. and that's great for a number five. Mm-hmm. And you don't need him. We don't, you know, opportunity cost is one thing, and that's a reasonable concern. But if we're just looking at this is what we've got now, if we're looking at Gallardo in the rotation, that's pretty solid. If you can have a one, you know, one and a half, two win pitcher in your five spot, you're going to be fine. And... In case he is not fine, we have some depth okay. built up. Casey fine. <laughs> <laughs> we we do. We do have him. Um, I would maybe prefer to talk about Chris Heston a little bit, uh, who is uh, potentially, potentially, I don't know what went wrong with him last year, but he is, and I've said this before, he is my choice for 
uh, a sneaky guy who could make a big difference at some point. Because I think, I think something just kind of went off the tracks for him. But I look at his mechanics and I look at him throwing and I think, I think he can get back to it. There's, the pieces are there for him, certainly. Uh, you know, he's not an overpowering guy. And it's so it was certainly discouraging to see someone who topped out around the low 90s and averaged around 89 in the best of times uh, come back last year and be sitting around 87 with his fastball. Um, you know, but he was coming off injury and had a variety of issues and never really seemed to get his legs back under him. Um, and when he's on, you know, he has really really deceptive stuff you know it's just about for me about can he actually be healthy um and get his mechanics reoriented so i would be surprised to see him in any real competition to start the season but if he has time to work in uh, in triple a you know he he could be a great a much better person to bring up than we've had in years past um, he's, he's decent depth to have. Um, speaking of depth, and so that, that five spot is, we're assuming it's going to go to Gallardo. Not exactly sure though. I mean, is there a possibility that there's going to be a battle for it in spring training? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Gallardo has it pretty much locked up. I think, uh, the only thing that could uh call that into question is whether or not he's uh physically ready uh if his uh injuries um spark up again in spring training but i don't i don't think we have any reason to believe that will happen um well you know nice guy rob whalen speaking of rob whalen <laughs> posted an instagram video of himself working out <laughs> that was captioned i want that fifth spot so uh, is there any do should, does young Rob have any reason to hope then or I'm I'm optimistic about I'm more optimistic about young Rob than I am about Chris Heston which <laughs> is not not to say that you may not be completely right but I've really liked what I've seen from Waylon um, obviously he had a unimpressive MLB debut at the end of last year um, I think he had five starts and just really was looked tired um but i think that honestly was as much of as much as anything what it was you know he'd been excellent in double a he was excellent in triple a and he just hadn't you know he hadn't made it much over 100 innings in his pro career he'd been he'd had shoulder injuries and different things and you know when we talked initially i think with some of the people from uh, atlanta when we first acquired him they said no, no, it wasn't that he had an actual shoulder injury. Injury, it just he was burnt out. He had yeah. shoulder fatigue, um, and so you know he has impressive, um, really, really impressive movement on his pitches. Um, again, he's not really sort of a high velocity guy, but he is another one of these uh, players who, in his best iteration, um, doesn't walk too many people uh, and. A pound sort of pounds the zone, um, gets a lot of ground balls, and uh, has has the potential to to be a legitimate player. And he's 22. Yeah, and his strikeout rate took a huge jump last year too in Double yeah. A AA and Triple A, and mm-hmm. so that's really encouraging to see too. Yeah. Um, should we talk a little bit? I was just scrolling Instagram, and here comes this. <laughs> A workout video from Ariel Miranda, who has put up a ton of them this year. Just he is really putting in some work off the off in the off season. He still has tiny, tiny little chicken legs. <laughs> I mean, this video, we can't all be perfect. <laughs> this video is of him. He's pressing some pretty serious weight. He's got it across his back, and he's doing like squats with it or whatever. Um, but yeah, he's he's just he scares me durability wise because he is I mean, there is a lot of weight on there and theoretically he should be bulky and huge by what I'm seeing here, but his body just seems to be unable to Yeah, he's he's got chicken legs. Um, is he a durability concern? Are we worried about that at all? Or what's keeping him from pushing for that fifth starter spot? 
because we liked what we saw from him last year, right? Yeah, I did. I liked I liked what I saw. Um, he, uh, I actually I would prefer to see him in the bullpen as a lefty. Yeah, El Mimo. This is my this is my dream <laughs> <laughs> to finally fill that six foot five left handed hole in your heart. Yes, exactly. And he's Cuban, so like I love the Cubans to begin with. So it's even better. I mean, I love I loved Mike Montgomery. He was the first pitcher I ever really wrote about on the site, and just writing about him taught me a lot about pitching and pitching stats and stuff but uh oh man the cuban upgrade it's like it's like god opens closes the door and opens up a, a, a window to cuba um i agree i think the bullpen is sorely missing that uh long reliever lefty mimo bit part and uh miranda could be that but i want him to be happy and he seems to really kind of want to be a starter as most of them do Sure. I don't think being in a long relief role closes the door for him and in terms of being a starter, but it definitely is what the team would most benefit from in 2017. Um, you know, a big part of his development has been not so much, I don't think, durability in terms of getting injured, but durability in terms of building up stamina. Mm -hmm. And you can build up stamina as a long reliever. Your workouts as a long reliever are the same, essentially, as being a starter. You just have to be ready to get started quicker. Um, and that's something that, you know, he has a really good skill set for. You know, we saw in either moments where he really was full of adrenaline or whether he was coming in in early for all. You know, a lefty that comes in and throws 95, 96, 97 is a really, really valuable that thing. That is you know, a weapon. That's, that's a weapon. You know, and obviously this is a, not what I'm saying he's going to be, but, you know, the the Andrew Miller-type role of a guy who just comes in in the middle of the game and sh stops, just kind of completely uh, snuffs out uh, something that might get started, you know, that's something you can groom a pitcher like Miranda into. Uh, without having to close the door on him in the future. You know, we have him under control for several more years, and he has very few innings on his arm, mm -hmm. even though he's 26, 27? He's 28. Uh, 28, yeah. But wow. but I think, you know, you look I at him at, you look at him at 28 versus you look at, I don't know, someone like uh, even Smiley or, or, you know, a player who's... Uh, a comparable age there's just not as much wear and tear on the arm so far so well in june of this past year i believe jerry said we had a combined 175 dl days for our pitchers for the entire staff but still that's Yikes. that is a lot to have racked up yeah mm. so that consistency and just and building the depth, too. I mean, last year at this time, what was our pitching depth? It was Cody Martin. Cody Martin. Was, yeah. and Samson was already on the Sam DL. Samson. And yep. Wade uh, LeBlanc. Yep. I mean, so having Miranda, Heston, Whelan as as our depth, and then Andrew Moore is right there. You know i got to get Andrew Moore in. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Andrew Moore. I love Andrew Moore, not as much as Jerry loves Andrew Moore, because Jerry is borderline <laughs> obsessed with Andrew Moore. <laughs> I think Jose is putting together a uh, something that will present that to you, I hope, in a humorous way. Oh, I have it done, actually. Oh, oh, let's let's play it. Let's play it. So so what we did is uh, Kate sent me a bunch of links of uh, Jerry DePoto mentioning Andrew Moore's name, and I don't even know if we captured all of them, but we have... Uh, we have a couple of them I put together. Let's, let's see if we can get this going here. Let's hear it. Andrew Moore. 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 And apparently he, he said his name again to, today um, during an interview. So He did because I was, I was so upset he didn't say it during the media lunch. And I was like, oh, no, it's Jerry forgetting about Andrew Moore already. Someone needs to put a just 
fantastic beat underneath that. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our that is our intro song. <laughs> awesome. We'll or at least my out. ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think as we're kind of starting to talk about who might be candidates for the bullpen, this is a good time to take a little break, and uh, we'll come back and talk about the bullpen. All right, that wraps up part one, and we'll be releasing part two on Thursday, so be on the lookout for that. See what I did there? Lookout. Anyway, see ya. <laughs> <laughs>